being chosen to launch this series on discipleship can be found in the second letter of Peter and the first chapter, which is on page 1222 in the Church Bibles. Second letter of Peter, chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. After some conventional introduction, Peter gets straight to it. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. This is the word of the Lord. Great, thank you, Des. Uh, if you'd like to keep the Bible open in front of you at the... Uh, page 1222. Let me pray. God of grace, God of beauty, God of majesty, King Jesus, wherever we are this morning, whether we understand it, whether we know it, or we're consciously aware of it, would you come with power in our lives and move us on the next step in our walk with you? Amen. Well, uh, this morning we're looking at, uh, we're starting a term where we're going to look at the theme of discipleship, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I wonder how you're doing on your New Year's resolutions as we begin uh, a new year together. This was taken a, a while ago, someone's list. They've got the same resolutions for the last four years. So they're the same things, they've crossed them out and said, I'll have another go at losing weight, more weight again. I will get fit next year, not this year, that's a bit too fun, much of a stretch. I will give up maybe alcohol, alcohol or cigarettes. I'll drink less. I'll be kinder to those who are close to me. Do we register that kind of thing in our life where we recognize we're here, we would like to be over there, and the question is, how do we get there? How do we move from where we are 
to where either we would want to get to, but maybe more importantly, where God would like to take us to. Things got so bad in our house yesterday that I made a fruit salad. Doesn't happen often. That's all I'll say. (laughs) We're going to spend the next six weeks looking at a series that I'm calling Fully Alive. And the focus and the aim of it is to look at the discipleship of the whole of the church. Whether it's from the smallest to the greatest, the things that Jesus says, the things that Scripture says, apply to us all. I remember reading, uh, even before I went to theological college, but there's a couple of verses that have always been really important to me in life. One of which is John 10.10, which you'll know really well, that Jesus said, I came to bring life and bring it to the full. But there's a, little, there's a lesser known verse in Habakkuk 2. There's actually a modern translation, but it includes something that actually has become really helpful. Habakkuk, the prophet, is, says, says, but the person in right standing before God, through loyal and steady believing, is fully alive, really alive. But the person in right standing before God, through loyal and steady believing, is fully alive, really alive. That's a message translation of that. Famously, in the second century, there was a bishop in the second century, a French bishop, who called Irenaeus, and he's written many, uh, many things. But one of the things he's most famous for saying or writing is this, and I think it's a stunning phrase that has a huge amount to think about and unpack it. He said, the glory of God is a person fully alive. The glory of God is a person fully alive. There's a huge amount just in that one phrase, some of the mystery of God's work in this world and his partnership with us. That we carry the glory of God as his people is what we carry. And over the next uh, six weeks, we're going to look at different aspects of, of, of this. I'm going to pack it in different, uh, different ways. And whatever state you're in this morning, whether you come here thinking completely weighed down, or actually you're excited about the year ahead, you've made lots of plans for the year ahead, the promise of Scripture is that we can know life in all its fullness. We're going to look at six different aspects of that. And this, this morning, I'm going to start by looking about being spiritually alive. And my prayer, I think, at the end of this is, is, is this, is that for each of us, and I include myself in this, whenever you stand up here, you're preaching just as much to yourself as you are to everybody else. My prayer for each one of us is to say, well, this is where I am now. And in five or six weeks' time, actually, there will be a change in my life. There'll be some sense of God doing something, some sense of God moving me, some sense of God taking me on in my walk with him. 2 Peter 1 verses 3 to 9. It's important if you have it in front of you, it's important to remember that Peter here is writing to Christians. Peter is writing to Christians. Christians who are discouraged Christians who are feeling down, disheartened, weighed down by the challenge of living a Christian life and the world. Christians who feel maybe that they're not who they ought to be. 
They thought that life would be simpler or easier in following Jesus. And life hadn't turned out maybe the way they expected to. Or to use the work of Habakkuk too, or of Irenaeus, they expected that life would mean that they are more fully alive if they were following Jesus. So what's the answer? Some people confess their sins. They spend huge amounts of time on their knees repenting. They open their hearts to God and say, God, you know, fill me, touch me, reach me. But they still, in the words of Peter, feel ineffective and unproductive. They feel nearsighted and blind. Some of these people, and you may identify with this, say, well, you know, I've, I've tried to be a good Christian, but you know what? It's, it's just not working for me. You know, I'll, maybe I'll just go to church occasionally. Maybe I'll only pick up my Bible ever so often. Maybe I'll, you know, I won't actually connect with anybody because I'm not sure it's working for me. You know, I don't believe as I'm sat here this morning that I could become fully alive, fully spiritually alive. That might be somebody else, somebody who's particularly holy, but not me. I'm always going to feel second best, slightly dead on the inside. And remember, Peter is writing to discouraged, to disheartened Christians, and he's offering them a way from that place of discouragement and disheartenment. What's the way? Firstly, we see in verse 8 and then in verse 9, is that we need to actually own up to the condition of the state of our lives. We need to be honest about where we are. When I see the word ineffective, I think of a Christian who's got in their mind the way they think life could be or should be, or maybe even they've had glimpses of, but actually they know their life isn't like that. So, for example, we know the theory, our life should be full of joy. We know that we shouldn't be comparing our lives to our neighbors, our brothers, our sisters, our work colleagues, but we do. We know that we should be the most generous people in the city of Bath. We know that actually as you come into this church, into this physical building, that you should be the most accepted, the most welcomed, the most embraced person in the city of Bath. They should come across the least criticism that anybody should do in the city of Bath. We should be the most peacemaking, loving people, the people who live forgiveness every day. We should be people who overcome sin and temptation in our daily lives. I mean, isn't that what Scripture talks about? But you and I know we don't always get there. The ineffective Christian says, I have in my mind what a follower of Christ ought to be, but I've just no idea how I get from where I am here today to where is a better place that God promises. And we need to be honest with where we are. Actually, as I start this series, we start this term, it's just being honest. That's my one prayer for you this morning. That you'd take some honest eyes to where you are. The word unproductive in verse 8 that you'll see could also be translated and sometimes is translated unfruitful. 
There may be, you, as you look at your life, you may recognize, for example, there may be a barrenness in your ability to talk to anybody else about Jesus Christ. In fact, you may have never spoken to anybody else ever about your faith in Christ. And you sit there and it racks you with guilt. Maybe you recognize that when we read in Scripture, one of the fruits that the Bible talks about is the fruit of the Spirit. We recognize it's a life of multiplication, but we recognize there's hardness and barrenness in our life. You know, we recognize we'd love to be more loving, more patient, more kind, more full of self-control, more faithful. But honestly, on a daily world, on a day-by-day life, actually, we go around constantly grumpy, constantly irritated with the people we live with, the people we work with, and the people we around. We go around like we've got bad sunburn a lot of the time. Things get to us. They bug us. They irritate us. And people walk on eggshells around us because of that. Lord, am I sat here this morning recognizing that there's unproductivity in me, that actually my condition may be worse than I think. In verse 9, Peter then goes on to say, to say, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. What does it mean for a, a Christian to be nearsighted and blind? It means that they can only see things literally that are in front of them. It means all that you see are the short-term issues in your life. There are no long-term consequences to what you do or to your behavior. So, for example, if I'm a parent and my children are whining and complaining, all I'll do is just do the easiest thing to satisfy them so I can stop having any whining and complaining rather than do the parental thing that produces the behavior at the end that will be benefit them as a, as a person we'll be constantly tempted. Being nearsighted and blind means we're tempted by the things that give immediate satisfaction or gratification, taking no, no sense of the long-term goal. The first step in walking with God, in becoming a place of greater productivity, is saying, Lord, I recognize my powerlessness that my condition is such to get me to where you want me to get to. But Peter doesn't just offer a problem. He doesn't say that's the, the, the result of being fallen. He then also goes on, as the Bible constantly does, to say, and this is how you go about it. These are some of the things you do to move from that. So, in verse, so secondly, we see we need, um, we need to connect with God's provision. So if you look in verses 3 and 4, It says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. People attempt to live the Christian life in lots and lots of different ways. Some people attempt to grow by their willpower. They're very forceful people, very determined people. 
And they look, they just turn inside for all the resources they can bring to grow. If I think positively enough, if I bring all my gifts and abilities, then I will grow. But Jesus says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are by the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear fruit, much fruit. But apart from me, you will bear nothing. I wonder how, if you spend time with God each day, I don't know whether you spend time with God each day in any form, whether it's spending time with the Bible, spending time praying, spending time listening to music, uh, spending time of any form whatsoever. But one of the ways I occasionally do that, or relatively often do that, is I do something really simple. I just find a place, I sit there, and I, I think, Lord, I recognize in all that I'm going to do today that I will come across people who will go beyond, I will not have the grace to deal with well. I will think things that I shouldn't think about people, where I'll think the worst of people when they come and see me. I will say things that I shouldn't say in a spirit that isn't good and honest. And I'll do things that don't honor you. Lord, I recognize that to live for you today, I need your grace. I need your grace. I need your grace. I need your grace. I wonder whether you then start, one of the things I then start to say, Lord, I recognize my need for you. Would you come and would you fill me afresh with your life, with your spirit, with your strength to enable me to live well for you today? A really simple prayer, recognizing I need God, and a simple prayer, recognizing I need his, his gifts, his strength, his resources, his provision, if I'm to live well for him. In providing for us, in, in, in um, seeking and connecting with God's provision, God starts to breathe life into us and bring us alive again. As we see in verse 4, we also see God's promises. What are God's promises? What it, does it mean to live daily with God's promises? That obviously includes the gift of his spirit. Peter refers to uh, participating in the divine nature that Christians are united with God by his spirit. Christians wrote great promises that you can rest on each day, includes his hearing and his answering of our prayers, includes his promise to be with us even to the end of the age. It promises to, to, to cleanse us, to, to wash, wash us clean as we turn to him in repentance and faith. He promises to take our burdens from us and to give us rest to our souls as we hand our burdens to him and leave them there. He promises to have gone and prepared a place for us for the future and that he will come again and then bring us to where he is. Christ promised that the church would endure no matter what it encountered in the world. I wonder what promises on a daily basis you try and remember. What is it you bring to mind of Christ's promises in your life? That you're his that your life is now hidden in Christ, that you're the beloved of God, that actually has removed as far as the east is from the west, so far has removed your sins if you've repented and turned to God, that you're washed clean, that that's his promise to you if you turn to him and turn to him in faith, 
We don't need to be dragging around the, the, the guilt of the things you did last year, last week, last decade, last, last whatever it was. Dragging all those things behind us as though we're unforgiven if, we've, if we have turned to God in repentance. So we own up to our condition. We tap into all that God's provided for us. And thirdly, we then need to call up God's blessing. As we see in verse 9, whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. One of the things we're going to do in a minute is we're going to share communion together. But one of the most challenging things is just Christians try and remember well. Cultivate a good memory. We constantly forget who Christ is and what he's done for us. Just cultivate a good memory of who Christ is, what he's done for you and what he continues to do for you and how you stand in relation to him. I've said before, but one of the great, great problems as you read through the Old Testament of the Israelites is they have terrible memories. You know, God delivers them, God does something miraculous for them. And then they're off wandering back to their old sin again, saying, wasn't it great in the old days before God delivered us? They're tempted back to the old red life, even though God has done extraordinary things for them. They forget so quickly God's goodness to them, God's faithfulness to them, and how God had delivered them. Are we like that? Do you remember well what God has done in your life? However easily you can explain that or talk about that. Are you remembering well what God has done in your life? Or did you forget? Have you forgotten all that he's done in your life? And one of the great challenges then about remembering well is, and we'll do it in community, is to remember to refocus our lives on Christ throughout the day, what he's done, who he is, what he's done, and what he continues to do for him, and how powerful Christ is as we accept him in our life. I don't know whether you're in the habit, you may not be a very reflective person, but if you are a reflective person, or even if you're not a very reflective person, when you take any time at the end of the day just to say, how did that go? What was good? What was bad? Was God at work in any of my life today, in any way whatsoever? And take time to review it, to actually look at it and to see and to recognize that God has been at work in your life if you dare to look for him. And then the fourth thing is, um, is to, we, if we want to grow spiritually, we want to become fully alive spiritually, then we need to go for God's way of growth in verses 5 and verse to 7. For this reason, make every effort, add your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and per- perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. One of the great reasons why we don't grow as Christians is we think it's all automatic. We think, well, if I sit here long enough, God will get me from here to over there like a sort of God will sort of transport me. And that's how I'll grow. I'll just sit where I am. It doesn't actually require intentionality. It doesn't require effort. 
that the spiritual life is a both-hand process. Yes, it is all grace. It is all grace. It's not works. It is all grace. Grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But it is God's activity paired with our activity. In verse 5, but also after that passage in verse 10, it says, make every effort. Make every effort. The late, um, those of you who have been Christians a long time, um, may have known a writer when I was at university. There's a writer who was quite popular at the time called John White. He was a Christian psychiatrist. And he wrote a great book about discipleship. Uh, I think it's probably out of print now. Uh, on Christian growth and Christian disciples. And one of the ways that he called it, he says, it's a fight. He called it the fight. And spiritual growth does include a struggle. It's got to be intentional. It's a labor. It's a work. It's a bit like the, the, the Christian lives involves us swimming upstream in, in a tide that's coming. If you're looking for an image of the Christian life, it's more like a salmon swimming upstream than it is us just going with the tide of the way the world is. One major error for us is to believe that it's all just going to be automatic. There's no challenge in life. There's no battle in life. That we've actually got to put our backs and our time and our energy and our thoughts into this Christian life. Peter's not suggesting that salvation is not through grace, as I've said already, but he is saying to Christians who don't feel spiritually alive, if you're sat here this morning thinking, I know I'm not spiritually alive, if you're discouraged, if you're disheartened, despite accepting Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, then he's saying what you need to do is you actually need to do something intentional as well. If you want to find all the joy, find all the peace, come fully alive. You've got to make some choices about what you do and when you do them and how you do them. In the West, one of the great criticisms of the church over the last 20 years, or maybe 30 years probably, is at times there's been too much emphasis on just getting my ticket to heaven and think the job's done and not worry about how I live my life or what, what the state of the world is. But Peter says to them, if you look closely here in verses 5 to 7, Peter says to add to your initial faith other qualities. Grow in goodness. Let goodness be a feature of your life. Let knowledge be a feature. Grow in your knowledge of God and his word and, his, and of his love. Peter's describing the Christian life like it's a walk where we take one foot in front of another, rather than thinking my Christian growth is going to go from here to over there and God's just going to do it. Most of the Christian life is one step after another. It's just faithful steps of obedience to say, God, God what have you called me to do today, tomorrow? You may have a grand plan, you may have a grand vision, but the question is, what step are you taking today? For example, this is you begin a new year. You may say, well, Tim, if I, if I am honest with you, as I sit here this morning, what I feel most challenged about, for example, I don't read my Bible hardly ever, say. How are you going to go about finding an extra five minutes, an extra ten minutes, whatever it is? I don't find any time to pray during the day. Well, how are you going to sit here this morning and think, well, what can I do this week? 
for five days or seven days to make a start on that. So maybe find a time, maybe find a place. It may be the beginning of the day, maybe the end of the day, maybe the middle of the day. But just to take some time to start to intentionally put some things in place that will help you grow, that will help you get closer to God. Maybe listening to the Bible. You may struggle with reading, so you need to listen to a podcast or someone reading the Bible to you. It may be meeting with other friends. Actually, your greatest need is to, to meet other people and not to live life on our own. And because it, it's easy, as you and I, I've done many times, I write a, a goal, anybody can write a goal down. Anybody can write a thing down. The question is, what are you going to do as you leave here this week? The question, are you going to do anything as a consequence of wanting to see your life grow? Maybe say, well, this week, I am going to read my Bible. I am going to pray. I'm going to go to the gym, for example. Well, we'll come on to some of the other parts of, of, of life as well. We're massively impacted by people around us. We were intended for community. And if you're trying to do your Christian life on your own, it will ultimately end up in running dry. I've very, very hardly ever met anybody who manages to flourish on their own. Pretty much most of my pastoral work in Winchester for five years with people who found themselves on their own for various reasons and were really struggling. And so actually, God intended us to be in community where we can be affected by those who are around us. All the social studies about peer pressure show how, it, how on a social, just in a human sense, and a social sense, um, it matters so much who you're spending time with. If you want to eat right in your life, if you want to change, become healthier physically, it helps to be with people who also eat healthily. That's bad news for Jo, who lives with me, because if she wants to live healthily, I've actually maybe got to do something to help her. Actually, it matters who we spend time with, what the people are doing. If you want to read your Bible, if you want to pray, if that is important to you this coming year, you may need to find some people to read the Bible with, to pray. Join a house group. Get connected back to your house group. Find someone to pray with. If you don't know it, if you do feel disconnected, and that's your main challenge this morning, come and see me or speak to another friend to find a way of getting connected. And it's not about saying I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to read the most complicated theological commentary for five hours, but it's about making a start and a step on what God's calling you to. Let's just take a moment um, to be quiet for a minute. I've spoken for a while. Let's just be still. Uh, we're going to go and we're going to celebrate communion in a minute. But before we do that, uh, I'm just going to take some quiet. I'm going to pray. I'm going to leave some quiet. And I'm just going to ask God to speak to you. You may have been speaking to you as you, you listen to me or before the service or during the service to show you a few things that you could do this year that would mean that spiritually, you start to come alive more? What is it the steps he might be asking you to take? Heavenly Father, you know each one of us by name. 
Every hair on our head is numbered. You know the struggles each of us have. You know the amazing potential each one of us have. You know the joys and the sorrows each one of us have. But Father, we recognize our need for you today. We want to draw closer to you. We want to be nearer to you. We want to be more like you. Holy Spirit, would you speak to each individual, each person, to talk about one of two things that they could do this year, this term, this week, that would make a real difference to their life? What is it you want to say to us? Come, Holy Spirit, I pray. Minister your grace to us afresh. Father, as we close our prayers, um, I particularly want to pray for people who are quietly despairing. God of graciousness and compassion. Father, would you, as a day today, as they commit and mark themselves to say, Lord, I want to go your way. I want to swim the way you've asked. Lord, would you lead them on from this place? Would you bring hope to them? Would you bring encouragement to them? And Father, would you help each one of us to be encouragement to all the other people who are sat in here today? That we would spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would lift those who particularly feel trapped and encased this morning. That you would free them to live the life you've called them to. In Jesus' name. Amen. Before we stand and sing, we're going to stand and sing it. Would you like to stand, actually? We're going to stand and sing as we then go to communion. Um, Can I also encourage you, um, before you leave today, if you know, actually, this morning is something significant for you, um, why don't you find someone to pray with you? Actually, sharing it makes a massive difference. 
I'll then I'll stay at the front, but you may have come with a friend. I'll make myself available to pray with anybody. And I'm sure other people would pray with you as well. Why don't we make it say, I'm going to be encouraged and I'm going to encourage somebody else this morning by praying for them.